Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. So today we're going to be talking about spooky places. Spooky. Spooky. And it's kind of a grab bag. We found a few different places that were a little bit different, and we thought we'd talk about them today. They're spooky for different reasons. Which I I appreciate. A diverse spooky, if you will. Diverse spooky is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we should call this. <laughs> so the first place we're going to talk about is Thompson Park, and it's located in Watertown, New York. John C. Thompson donated the land for the park around 1900. The park was designed by Frederick Law Olmsted, and he also designed the Central Park in New York City, if you've been there. And Thompson Park has a really unique nickname, which is one of the reasons we were like, what is this? Because it's called the Area 51 of New York. The town has even put up signs to warn visitors that some spooky things go on there. And the sign itself is actually very cute. It says Watertown's Area 51, and it has like a little green alien head smiling. (laughs) I love it. It's so cute. And then the sign also has, you know, we love these, Thompson Park Vortex. This particular area of the park can be found near the edge of the golf course and the zoo, because this is a very full park, if you will. The zoo only has animals that are native to New York State, which I think is actually pretty cute. But also just like a little bit about their zoo, which I love, is the local Rotary Club have been thinking of opening a zoo in the park. And before it was opened, all the kids in the neighborhood were like, yeah, a zoo, because I feel like kids love zoo, right? Yeah. And so kids started raising money to buy animals for the zoo. That's so cute. By having like lemonade stands and candy stands, which you're thinking like, okay, right? Like, sure. Sure they are. And so several children spent their weekends for years trying to help raise money for the zoo. And one of these kids was Roland J. Fairbanks. And particularly, he spent eight years raising money. He was 10 when they started. And it was him, his sister, and some of their friends. They created the Park Zoo Club. Eventually, they upgraded from selling lemonade to going house to house selling magazines and pins to raise money. Eventually, the PZC, the Park Zoo Club, would buy two coyote cubs, an ocelot, an armadillo, a bull moose, bear cubs, and they also bought fencing for the deer and a new hat for the zookeeper. So cute. They're like, we need to buy this, 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 and a hat. And the hat. In addition to his fundraising efforts, Roland and his family housed some of the animals in their home when the enclosures were being built, including guinea pigs, turtles, Belgian hares, and an alligator. Just a casual alligator. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, at first I was like, how many bear cubs did he keep? And then I don't know where he got it from, but he had it. So in the area of this park, too. You can, like, I've never been to New York, unfortunately, so I've not been to this area. So I was playing around on Google Maps and walked around a while, just trying to see where it is. Love this. And it is gigantic. This park is huge. There's so much space. And someone uploaded their pictures to Google that they took at night. So, like, while you're walking around, you can see some of the pictures that people have done or, like, some of their little quick walkthroughs. And behind the sign that you described, so, like, the alien sign, you can walk into, like, these trees and there's sort of a path. 
but it's like just this big area, like the sign and then the area. So it just seemed a little odd, but it's really cute seeing the random alien sign there. So what I'm getting at is it does look like just like a spacious, regular park. It has a playground, an area to golf, sledding areas, tennis courts, and then, of course, the zoo in the park. Oh, it's not just like an alien ship you walk into, like on the... I wish. Like a big, like, portal, like in... (laughs) Insert sci-fi show. I wish we had cool parks like that here, like a park with the zoo and, yeah, of course, alien ship somewhere. So what makes it so strange? So far, what we've described is just a nice, spacious park, right? So the first unusual experience was reported in the 1930s. And just to describe the area that we'll be talking about, there's like these stone walls that lead up to one of the grassy hills between the golf course and the swimming pools. And people started reporting that they had eerie feelings. And people started calling that area of the park the light lines. In the years following, people began seeing apparitions and hearing weird noises. One of the apparitions was a figure on horseback, and all I got was, like, headless horseman vibes. Yeah. Whenever I hear apparition on horseback, they're headless. Automatically. Yeah. Absolutely. It did not say they were headless, but in my head, that's all I see. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. In the 1970s, people reported physical effects from the light lines. Some people say that while they were walking through the park, they suddenly would be transferred to another area of the park, too. And I've seen that in a few different areas of the park where people say that. So not like one particular area you'll be walking. It's just anywhere in the park. That would freak me out. I would spaz the fuck out if I was walking and it was just suddenly someplace else. Right? Right? And, you know, like we talked about it, I want to say in our ghost episode, the phenomenon of like when you're driving somewhere and then you're like, oh, I'm here. I don't remember the drive. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of where I went is like maybe they were just walking for a while and they just zoned. but. There's a little more to it. But I also feel like there's times when you might do that. And it's like when you're doing things that you've done over and over and over and over again, like your ride home from work. But when you're like strolling through a park, unless like you work in said park or you like cut through the park to go to work, I feel like it's not going to store in the same way in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Some people even claim that while they were missing, so while they were being transported however they were they were transported to the past and while they were gone in the past it seemed like it was a longer duration than what people say they were missing for so they could have been like gone for two minutes but it felt like a month yes yes okay Ooh. so their friend will be like you've been gone for 15 minutes and they're like i was gone for a year it seemed like have you watched the show outlander you know i haven't you know but i have to ask to bring it up in that there's time traveling and it's from magic stone and it's what's interesting is that the two time periods pass concurrently so like in the 1700s if 20 years have gone by in the 1900s same number of years have gone by and that just felt very interesting to me because i feel like so often when you do watch things with time travel it's more like the phenomenon that you talked about where one person's like you've been gone 15 minutes and you've been gone a year for the person who experienced it. It kind of reminds me of the Umbrella Academy a little bit. I don't know if you've seen that one. Oh, yeah. I love the Umbrella Academy. I did have to rewatch the first season when I watched the second season because so much time had passed. And I was like, I have no clue what's going on right now. 10 out of 10. It's a great show. So in one instance, several people claim that they saw an 18-year-old disappear and then reappear at the bottom of a hill 20 minutes later. If I live near this, I would only be in that park. You would? 
Just watching, sitting and watching. Oh, (laughs) what if you disappeared, though, Uh, to the past? (laughs) Well, I hope not. But also, look, I do look like a person who enjoys people watching. So (laughs) are you you picking up on what I'm putting down there? Yeah. And then Milo might come out of nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) I like that we've stuck to this name for him. Um, But no, like, I feel like I would just be like sitting on a bench looking, watching. And your bench is just gone. Just gone. So there are a few stories of this park on roadtrippers.com too. And one that stuck out is that someone had disappeared and reappeared. And they claim that there's a four minute time difference. You know, I know that we're moving down in, in increments of time from 20 to four minutes. But any lost time freaks me the hell out. I, growing up, had a friend and they had like, you know, one of those crazy uncles, like the crazy uncle that always had all these crazy stories. And he had a whole setup, like research setup about aliens. And he would always say, yeah, they come to all of us. They're everywhere. And I'm like, you know, like that would freak me out. He's like, do you ever get into a situation where you're like staring at something and you know you need to move and do something else, but you like can't stop focusing on that and you're like kind of in a haze for a few minutes Lindsay's thinking do you ever get that way I do sometimes I'll be like I need to do things and I'll just feel like staring at something you mean like resting like taking a break like taking a break yeah but like where you feel like you can't take your eyes off of a particular item I think everybody zones out okay yeah right like everyone feels that yeah he was saying that when that's happening it's them the aliens doing something with you And that you're kind of like on a pause while either they're like looking at something or tapped into your brain, perhaps. I don't know. You know, I was like when you pause a video game. Kind of. Yeah. And so when you feel like, oh, I need to do this, but you feel like you can't take your attention off of an item, that that's the aliens. And then sometimes if you were to actually be more cognizant at that moment, you could see that you've lost a couple minutes of time. I don't know. But crazy uncle. I like I like. I like the idea of we're taking a common experience and saying, here's why. But also, like, in that moment, if something jarring were to happen, I would snap out of it. Well, yeah, it's kind of like they couldn't hold your attention any longer because something interrupted it. If I keep making the face I'm making, I'm going to get wrinkles. He had <laughs> he had answers for all of this because that was like what we'd say, too. We're like, but like... When that happens, this, and he's like, well, yeah, because like they don't have a full hold on you anymore. Like something in your environment took your attention back and pulled you back down. And I'm like, okay, cool. (laughs) Well, what's interesting, too, is like, have you ever been in a trance? I don't think I have officially, no. So when you are in a trance and you're being hypnotized, you are in full control of your body. You're awake. You're just in a trance. And that's it seems similar to me in that, right? Like where you're like, if something in your environment snaps you out of it, you're going to snap out of that trance. That just I can't buy that. (laughs) There's a lot of alien theories that I could get behind, but not that one. No, that's not one of them. Yeah, I remember his desk was just full of like journals and just all this stuff of aliens. When you say journals, do you mean like his own written journals? Both like he would talk to people and get their experiences and this was like the time when like AOL dial-up was a thing so like he would like get into these like 
chat rooms and like do all the same. I don't know. It was a, it was a weird time. Are you still friends with this friend? Oh, no, 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 no. Can you become friends with her? Because I want to interview her uncle. Like, I have so many questions. <laughs> and no, and I'm not trying to be an asshole. Like, first off, anyone knowing a lot about anything, I want to know about it. You know a lot about the invention of screws and bolts. I want to know about it. I want to know what your special interest is. That's where you go to the invention of screws and bolts. <laughs> that was the most boring thing I could think of. <laughs> My point is, though, that like, have you ever seen the look on someone's face when they're talking about their thing? How excited they are? That is like, yeah, like the excited and like when you're like tapping into like that person at themselves the most. That is my favorite thing on every single person. Like, I want to know what the thing, the special thing that makes you you is. And like the look that people get in their faces. And I bet he has that look when he talks about these theories on aliens. And he's like, oh, he does. Dipped into like <laughs> Reddit before Reddit was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, it's it's interesting because that same thing, whenever I space out, that's the first thought I have is it's him telling me the aliens have me. <laughs> No, that's wild. And also because, like, chances are there's a reason why he began all of that. And it could be because he thought that he was abducted. That stuck with me for years. So do you know what dissociative disorders are? Like, I know they exist. Okay, so most of the time when people are talking about dissociative disorders, they're talking about dissociative identity disorders, which is commonly talked about as multiple personality disorders. But there's a few different types of them. And there's one that I wanted to talk about specifically, and it's called dissociative fugue. And it's where you travel. So wh one of the things that this makes me think of with these people losing time from being one place to the other is dissociative fugues, which used to be called fugue states or psychogenic fugue. But it's a type of dissociative amnesia. And it's basically like where like you're missing core data of like what happened in a situation in your life. OK, so like minutes of time. Minutes of time would definitely be it. I think that's interesting when you're thinking about these things that seem supernatural. And it's like, perhaps that person has dissociated for whatever reason. Yeah, I wonder if it could be triggered by something too. You know, like how we talked about like frequencies and things like that that can affect someone. Yeah. Like maybe something in this park is triggering that with people. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's like some weird gas leak oh. causing this very particular symptom in multiple people. It sounds so similar to that that I'm like, hmm. But I think where it gets me is not in the people who are experiencing the actual time loss or the movement. It's the people watching this happen. Yeah, watching them. Because to me, it's the observers to me that I find more curious because I'm like, no, 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 no. You weren't experiencing this. You literally saw like there and then there. And from all the accounts that I was able to find, it seems like they would like, you know, take their eyes off their friend for a moment and then they were gone. Yeah. Not not like they were watching them and they just like disappeared before their eyes. It was I looked at my watch for a second or I looked behind me or something and then I turn around and my friend's gone. Yeah. So there are some rumors, too, that some people have disappeared and were never seen again. And I was trying to look up like missing people in this particular area. Like, is it more people than anywhere else? I wasn't really seeing a big difference. So I don't I don't know. I couldn't find a particular one that for sure went missing in the park. I did see that, you know, people in that area, just like any area, though, have gone missing. So I just yeah, didn't see a big like difference, I guess. I feel like if there was a high concentration, we would know about it, maybe. Yeah. 
You know what's interesting, though? Like, we always say, like, if there was, like, a high instance, we would know about it. But in the same vein, if you don't know someone's at the park when they went missing, you don't know where they were. Right, right. So, like, perhaps. Maybe. So, there are some people that know the park very well. And they've even reported that all of a sudden, they'll get super turned around or even lost. They know where they are, and then all of a sudden, they don't. Interesting. Some theorize it's because there's vortexes in the park. We do love a good vortex. You do. You do. You're like, not even me, just you, Lindsay. It's just you that loves these fucking vortexes. (laughs) I love vortex. Well, I love vortex bouncers. And I feel like this vortex bouncer isn't doing their job because this vortex wild. But they're kicking people out left and right. I think they're doing a great job. Well, they believe that the vortex isn't just in one particular area of the park, that maybe it moves. You know, I once we start talking about wandering vortexes, <laughs> I you're lo- I mean like vortex, okay, maybe. But wandering vortex, like have vortex will travel. I just yeah. Well, because they want to blame a vortex. However, the things are happening in various parts of the park. So either it's a gigantic vortex or somehow the vortex bouncer has put limitations on where the vortex can and cannot go. And it has to remain in the park for some reason. I I like the theory of it's a massive vortex and unpredictable more than I like have vortex will travel. Maybe. Maybe. We don't know. We don't know. So some people when visiting this park all of a sudden get very sensitive to whatever may be happening at the park. So like weird vibes. And they say that they also lose time while they're there. They'll think that they were there an hour. They'll look at their watch. It's been two. Others get really dizzy. And so people that haven't had like issues with fainting or feeling dizzy very often will all of a sudden feel horrible while they're walking. There's been various paranormal investigators that have come. And some have noted that the area has high electromagnetic readings. Some say that this could even cause things like nausea, confusion, and hallucinations. And we wanted to do some more research into EMF because we talk about it a lot. We talk about it with ghosts. We talk about it with this. We've brought them up a lot. So we wanted to deep dive a bit. Yeah. And I really felt like I had what can only be described as a shameful lack of information about EMF and like how it worked compared to how often we talked about it. So electric and magnetic fields join as one field in most forms of radiation. And the result is called an electromagnetic field, which is the the EMF. And they're produced anywhere electricity is used. Most researchers don't believe them to be dangerous, but some people do question the safety around them. And that's largely because there hasn't been a lot of research. So there's two different types of EMFs, and it's ionizing and non-ionizing. And non-ionizing is the one that's pretty much considered to be not very harmful. It's ionizing that we're a little bit worried about because prolonged exposure to it can lead to cellular or DNA damage. Weird. And again, that's because it's ionizing radiation. So and examples of that would be things like x-rays, ultraviolet light, aka sunlight, gamma rays. And non-ionizing radiation is less potent, so it's considered less dangerous. I don't know what I thought electromagnetic fields were, but I certainly didn't think it had to do with things like microwaves, Bluetooth devices, cell phones, Wi-Fi, power lines. I don't think I realized how just commonplace it was. The only reason I knew about a little bit of like the electricity portion is because whenever you do ghost hunts and they give you an EMF reader, they go, you know, if you walk up to a wall and it's going crazy, it's probably because there's wires in the wall. 
Yeah, and that makes sense. But then when they're going wild somewhere that doesn't have electricity, that's where you're like, hmm, what is going on here? Yeah. In their normal use, not ghost hunting, EMF meters are used to see if there are issues with electrical wiring or power lines. They can also see if appliances are functioning properly. And so electromagnetic fields are created by a combination of a charged object's electric field and a magnetic field that's created when that charged object moves. So we've got something stationary and something moving. And EMF fields are made when there is an alternating current, that's the the moving one, right, and a direct current. And EMF meters measure the alternating current, which typically moves back and forth around 50 to 60 times a second. Direct currents are stationary, which is why they're generally not what's measured, because it's stationary. But it typically means because you're measuring the alternating current that's moving, that's what your EMF is reading. So when people are using an EMF reader, say in the middle of a room where there's no wiring and it's going off, the thought is that the human spirit or whatever entity has energy. And it's that energy that's being picked up by the EMF reader. And it's interesting because one of the things that I saw was that EMF readers as a tool for ghost hunting are perfect because they're imperfect. It's the fact that you can get false positives from them that makes them so attractive. But also the fact that like we don't know why they are going off sometimes when there's no reason for them to be going off. So bringing the EMF portion of it back to the park, there was an investigation from the Shadow Chasers in 2007, and they said there was a grid of electromagnetic fields in the park, and they noted high levels of EMF readings. They suggested that the high EMF levels could have caused things like hallucinations So when people were like, oh, I lost track of time or ended up somewhere else, maybe it was due to that. Yeah. And that would make sense because when we talk about the EMF levels being non-hazardous to people, it's when there's low concentrations of them. Right. So if there's something high, it stands to reason that there would be strangeness. And I think one of the things that always kind of makes me get a little bit more alert is when I hear that something is causing them confusion, because that sounds to me like a physiological response to stimuli, not like a paranormal happening. Right, right. So let's talk about some UFOs in the park, too. In mid-November of 2011, someone was using a telescope in the park. It was starting to get cold, so they decided they were going to pack up their stuff and get going. As they started to head down the path on the hill, they observed a triangular-shaped something hovering above the woods for a while. It then swooped above the person, and then it sped away. We talked about like the different shapes and sizes of UFOs in our Bridgewater Triangle episode, and this seems kind of like how some of them describe things, right? Yeah, it does. We've seen circular, we've seen, they say, football stadium-sized, and now triangular shaped they come in all shapes and sizes also the trope of like hover 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 speed away right right like that's a very common behavior spaceships i feel like that we see Mm -hmm. yeah and always over the woods always over the woods so weird park if you visited the park let us know i want to hear any weird stories something that i found super interesting about this particular area we already said it's new york's area 51 right well the government Their codename for Nevada's Area 51 is Watertown. Isn't that curious? And this is located in Watertown, New York. Crazy. I'm just going to go ahead and say that if you lived here, we could take a cute little road trip up there. Oh, really? It's a mere six hours away. 
Oh, that'd be fun. They come to visit you. Where are you going? To the vortex. So let's go to the opposite end of the U.S. and talk about a place in California. And it's Bodie, California. And a little background. William S. Bodie, or some people call him Waterman, founded the town in 1859. And he did this after he discovered a bit of gold in the hills that were north of Mono Lake in California. So when he tried to return to the area so that he could mine some of this gold, he wasn't able to because he died. But later on, we found there was actually a substantial amount of gold there. And when I said substantial, I meant 10,000 pounds of gold and silver were eventually mined from this area. Which sounds like an insane fucking amount, by the way. Absolutely. (laughs) Hearing that, I'm like, oh, that must have been like a whole bunch compared to like the rest of the gold rush. Right, right. And it's not. (laughs) For perspective, 750,000 pounds of gold was found in the California gold rush as a whole. So this was like 1%. I don't think I realized it was that much. Yeah, it was like intense. So we're talking about the gold rush, right? So that was about 1849. And during the gold rush, there are more than 10,000 people in this area. It had a reputation of being a harsh mining town, which a lot of them were at this time. There were once as many as 800 buildings in this area, but only 100, about 100 remain now. In 1886, there were only 1,500 people left in this area. So we went from about 10,000 down to 1,500. And then there was a fire in 1892 that damaged many of the buildings. And we saw that a lot in like mining towns, too, that fire would be horrible and destroy a lot of the town. It happened here in Arizona, too, uh, in Jerome, actually. And we'll talk about Jerome eventually, too. So after the 1892 fire, unfortunately, they had an even more disastrous fire happen in 1932. And then by 1943, just three people lived in this town, which it's my kind of town. Yeah. I mean, as an introvert, I'm like, bring it. This is the life. Three people. Great. Oh, but imagine if you didn't like all three people or all two other people. (laughs) Yeah. There's what, 100 buildings left. You each get 30 or so. (laughs) I, I guess fair, fair. So the town was named a National Historical Landmark and the Bodie State Park was opened in 1962. It's open year round, but it's only accessible via skis, snowshoes, or snowmobiles during the winter months because of its high elevation, which is about 8,375 feet. That seems pretty high. As fascinating as the gold rushes and uh, building fires, there's a reason why we wanted to talk about this, and it's because of the hauntings. So it's widely believed that if you take anything from Bodhi, that you will be cursed with bad luck or that a ghost will follow you unless you return the item to Bodhi. Have you heard about that with other stories? Like I've heard about it with like beaches or pebbles and things like that in various places around the world. Whether or not that's true, I kind of love that vibe because it's like, don't take things from places where you shouldn't take things. The world is not a souvenir shop. So let's talk about some instances of hauntings and or curses. So in 1972, during their family's visit, two kids stole money from a bed where people had thrown like dollar bills and change when they were going through the tour. And the girls who stole it, they used a stick to kind of like pull it off the bed and they took it home. Pretty soon after they got home, their family started suffering serious financial problems. Their parents suddenly couldn't keep their jobs. They would get multiple jobs and get laid off. They lost their family home as a result. 
So like they basically they blamed it on that as that that was the whole situation. Often the park rangers would receive letters from people returning items. So in a 1991 letter, it said, life has been a steady downward slide. It's possible that all the unpleasant events of the past nine months are a coincidence. But just in case the Bodhi curse is real, I'm returning the nail. And there was a nail in the envelope. In 1994, another letter read, Dear Bodhi Spirits, I am sorry. One year ago, around the 4th of July, I was visiting the ghost town. I had been there many times before, but had always followed the regulations about collecting. This trip was different. I collected some items here and there and brought them home. I was a visitor again this year, and while I was in a museum, I read letters of others who had collected things and had bad luck. I started to think about the car accident, the loss of my job, my continuing illness, and the other bad things that have haunted me for the past year since my visit and violation. I'm generally not superstitious, but please find the enclosed collectibles I just couldn't live without and ask the spirits to see my regret. Signed, one with a very guilty conscience. These remind me of the letters people write to some of the dolls. Like when you take a picture and you're supposed to ask permission before taking a picture. And then when they get cursed, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. Please stop. Yeah, yeah. So a 2004 letter said, you can have these godforsaken rocks back. I've never had so much rotten luck in my life. Please forgive me for ever testing the curse of Bodhi. So... People, right, they're sending back these these objects they've taken thinking, I'm going to mail it back and it's everything's going to be fine. And for situations with Robert, a lot of times when people will send letters of apology, they'll find that there is some relief, right? Yeah, yeah. But the problem here is that the items that are mailed back to Bodie are not returned to Bodie. They end up in a storage facility because the park rangers don't know where specifically the item came from. So they don't want to put it in the wrong place because it is a national park and they are trying to maintain like what it looked like. So because they don't know if it actually came from there or if it actually did come from there, which part, they don't take it back. So it just stays in a storage facility. And where's the storage facility? It's not in Bodie. It's like next town over. It's not in the direct park from what I understand. And so... If you have taken something from Bodhi, you've got to go back and put it back yourself because they're not going to do it for you. I just feel like I would do that. I'd put it in the town limits. You know what I mean? Like toss it, toss that nail in the road. It feels like what's it going to hurt? So visitors and officials from the park have also heard music throughout the town when there's no reason to hear music and it's unclear where it's coming from. Okay with that. Yeah, I'm like, okay, depends on what it is. Uh, One of the homes is said to be haunted by a maid who doesn't like adults but loves kids. Fair. Same with me. So sometimes the park rangers will sleep in the homes. I am not quite sure why. It seems like sometimes they're there overnight to maintain the park or what have you. But multiple rangers have said that when they were sleeping in the J.S. Kane house, they awoke to a large woman who was sitting on them. Unfortunate. Bizarre and very specific. In the Gregory house, it's said to be haunted by an old woman who sits in a rocking chair, knitting away. I'm out. And people can see the rocking chair rocking on its own. That's my limit. <laughs> That's the limit. We don't we don't do self-rockers. In another house that was said to be owned by an Italian family, the rangers have smelled Italian food cooking when they come into the house. And it sounds like there's a party in a room that's empty. Like, do the smell, you know how we talked about in the ghost episode, like lingering smells? I feel like a lot of the herbs and things that you use in like an Italian... Like garlic? Yeah. Let's say it was an old Italian restaurant where they cooked a lot of Italian food. 
a lot of those smells like garlic and like some of the herbs and stuff might like stay longer, like linger to certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine that like, say there's wallpaper, like it's going to be like caught in the wallpaper. Yeah. Like the glue, the party I can't explain. Here's my question for you. Is there a different smell between food that has been prepared and exists and food that is cooking? Because I would venture to say that food that is cooking is a different smell than food that exists in a room. Yeah, fair. So, like, that's what I would wonder. I would say, like, was there actually, like, that distinction by the people who experienced it? Or was that just how it was written? Like, it was a stronger smell at that moment? Maybe. Yeah, like, they walked into a room or, like, you know how if you're cooking something in your house, the scent crescendos? You know, like, it's like a little bit by little bit. So I wonder if it's that. Okay, okay. But so also, there's a woman who looks out the window of the DeChambeau house and Ed Warren, like of Ed and Lorraine Warren, Uh theorizes that the dark curse exists because the town of Bodie itself absorbed all the negative energy from people that came to Bodie when they were desperate to get rich. Because one of the things, you know, that's pretty well known about the gold rush is that people were coming out in droves looking to change their life. Yeah. And sometimes it wasn't kindness with how people were treating each other. And we know that Bodie was a harsh mining town. But also, Ed Warren said, the items there have a spiritual vibration that can attract spirits or bad luck. Interesting. Interesting. Kind of like cursed objects. I would be very interested to see what like a cursed rock sitting in the, in the middle of a field with an EMF reader, what that would do. Ooh, I wonder. Yeah, that seems like... A very strange place. I've never heard of Bodie, California before researching for this. Yeah, same. But it's it's odd because when you look at pictures of it, too, it looks like an Arizona mining town, right? But then when you look at pictures, if you just type in Bodie, California snow, it's intense snow. So it's weird seeing like what I would envision as like an old Western mining town under snow. I don't know. Yeah. No, I feel like, again, like when you look at an old mining town, to me, I think my brain goes to what the Wild West probably looked like. Yeah. I would even say, too, like when you're looking through photos of Bodie, I was shocked at how modern some of the places looked. Because, again, I had like Wild West Saloon in my head. And I I don't think that that's necessarily an accurate portrayal in one particular photo, there's like this beautiful wallpaper that's like, whether it was orange before is simply orange now. It also looks like in this particular photo that there's a coffin in the middle of a room, just straight chilling. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, a little bit of like tombstone here. So let's move on out of the US to a place in Mexico. Uh, this place looks really terrifying is the word I think you were looking for, Amanda. Truly fucking terrifying creepy and interesting but i don't think i would ever visit it's not necessarily the items that are there it's more of the creatures for me it's a little one two for me it's a little one two punch (laughs) so we're going to talk about doll island and in spanish it's called la isla de las muñeca and i'm probably saying that wrong and maria i know you're listening and you're going to make fun of me for life but that's how i say it with my uh terrible spanish It's located in the outskirts of Mexico City, and we're going to dive into a little bit of its potential history because a lot of people debate this. In the 1950s, Don Julian Santana Barrera moved to an island on Tochuelo Lake by himself. And there's a couple different theories and thoughts as to why he did this. 
Some say he abandoned his wife and child and that he was being persecuted for his overzealous religious beliefs. And I couldn't find more details on like what they meant by that other than he was very, very superstitious. We did see in some sources where they talked about him being a Jehovah's Witness and that he had been very vocal about his beliefs and that actually been met with violence and that he had been beaten up because he kept saying like his beliefs to people who did not want to hear them. But I think it's interesting that there is a wide range of saying like zealous religious beliefs and superstition and then saying like specific religions. And that is one of the things that we noticed throughout this was that there's many different versions of this story. Right, right. And it's like, I I don't know what he was actually doing in that sense, because then there's some other stories that say that he didn't have a child. So we don't know. Yeah, I saw a version where his wife went with him. And that's actually what's kind of funny. It's like Amanda and I are both taking notes and I'm like, she's like, what are you looking at? I'm like, what are you looking at? Because we're seeing such different stuff. Yeah. Where it's like, mine said this person, mine said alone, mine said no kids, mine said he had a kid. Like, back and forth. That and even like his family later on. Yeah. Like that were interviewed family members are saying different things. So it's very confusing. So the one story that's all agreed on is that he moved to this little island. And it was just one acre. Very small. And it's called a chunampa. It's known as a floating garden. And they're essentially artificial islands created by interweaving reeds with stakes underneath. And it's under the lake's surface. And it creates almost like an underwater fence. And then they build up soil and vegetation into these fences. And then over time, the top layer is visible over the water. That's fascinating and brilliant. Like, very interesting. Yeah. The pictures of them are kind of cool. Yeah. So it's usually used for agricultural purposes. And they were invented by the Aztecs. Super smart, though. Like, I'm sure the soil would be, like, rich and, like, easy to grow stuff on. And even in some part of the story, there's things that he would grow on this island. Yeah. So soon after moving, Barrera found a young girl who had drowned in the lake. And he was just overcome with grief because he wasn't able to save this poor little girl. Not long after that, he then found a doll floating in the canal outside his home, and it's about the same area where he had found the girl originally. Yes. And so pretty soon after this, he starts seeing ghosts. And largely what we're going to be talking about is the ghost of the little girl. But in most accounts of him seeing apparitions, I see the word ghost as plural. Like it's not just her. So that's one of the things that I find interesting and a little bit mysterious that we really only hear about her. But I think there was more than that ghost. But in addition to seeing ghosts, all of his crops died and he kept trying to fix his crops, but nothing would grow. He thought this was because of a little girl's spirit. As we have mentioned, there are different variations of this story, but some say that in an effort to appease the spirit of the young girl, he built an altar in his home and he hung that doll that he had found in the tree. In other variations of the story, people say that he did that to honor her. And in another variation, people say that he hung that first doll to protect her spirit from the demons of the afterlife. Barrera was the only inhabitant of the island for most stories. Some say that his wife was with him, but most versions are that he lived there by himself. But it's pretty agreed upon that he saw himself as the caretaker of this island. And so he moved there in the 1950s. And after finding that girl and hanging the original doll, he then spent the next 50 years hanging any doll in any state of deterioration 
from the island's trees, from clothesline. The walls of the house, the shrine, everything. They were everywhere. He was finding these dolls in sometimes the trash, sometimes canal waterways. Like He was finding them all over. They would sometimes even be missing a head, a limb, the whole body. Barrera's favorite dolls made it into his original shrine. And there's actually a video of it from a few years ago. And it's a little bit terrifying. Just a little. So not only did it have dolls in the shrine, and remember, like, these are his favorite. One of them had, like, glasses on. Very weird. Why not? Sure. But not only was it dolls, there were candles, like, burnt candles. Okay, for an altar or shrine, that makes sense. And a shit ton of spiders everywhere. Just, like, everywhere. And the video that I saw, they were there at night. So there's just spiders coming out of the dolls, just, like, webs everywhere. And then... For some reason, there were also cats. Like, they're like, oh, there's cats over there. So, like, the island, obviously, like, it's it's a small island. I'm just not sure who brought their cat there. I don't see cats swimming in the lake very often. Well, but I would imagine that having spiders would keep out general pests from his crops and having cats would keep rodents off of the island. Ugh. So it could be to keep the population of other nuisance creatures down. Maybe. I have to rescue the cats from the spiders. Maybe they're living their best life. Maybe they love those dolls. I don't know. Maybe these are weird fucking cats. But so, as we mentioned, he would grow things on this island. And one of the things that Brer would do is he would trade produce that he had grown on the island for new dolls. Not weird. Not weird at all. Some say that Brer was driven by an unseen force while doing all this. And that perhaps it was the young girl's spirit. But that's kind of unclear, especially because Barrera's family doubted whether he ever found the remains of a young girl. And the existence of this girl has never been confirmed. And when we were researching, that was one of the things that we looked at was, who is this young girl? Because we're talking the 1950s. So, I mean, goodness knows that we aren't always IDing victims, but you would think that a small child would be missing. Especially like in a canal, like you presumably she wouldn't have been by herself. People would have been around. They could have figured out who it was. Yeah, I saw a lot of stories that a lot of the kids in the area would play in and around the canal often, but a name was never given. Yeah. And that's one of the things that seems extra strange to me. I think also because when you hear of this person like up and leaving their life to go live in this other place, it already seems like they're isolating themselves. So for them to have the life changing event after that, it kind of sounds like something happened before that, doesn't it? That would push him into this new life. Right. And some people say it's the religion thing. Yeah. But so close friends say that Barrera began to believe the dolls were possessed. So he did pass away in 2001. But interestingly and terrifyingly, it was in the same place where he found the young girl. And he was 80 years old. Now, what's interesting is there's two different stories of how he died. First is that he had a heart attack there. The second is that he too drowned. Some members of his family believe that the spirit of the young girl dragged him into the water and then he had a heart attack and that's where he died. He was found by his nephew, Anastasio Velasco, who came to help him plant pumpkins. And he went and worked for a bit, but then he found his uncle floating in the canal, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. That's just so, so sad. So more things up in the air with this. After Barrera's death, his family took care of the island and made it into a tourist attraction. I've even seen reports that Anastasio, so his nephew, moved to the island after his uncle's death. 
And there's an interview that I found of him and they're translating it for us. But he says that the dolls, quote, move their heads and whisper to each other. And during the interview, he also said that he believes the young girl haunts the island and that his uncle had walked with a cane and that sometimes at night you can hear the cane still tapping. And what's interesting, too, is so we know that this has possibly moved to other family members, too, because there's another relative who, when he took ownership of the island, he was like, I'm not going to live there. Right, right. Wanted to live somewhere else. Which I understand. There's no fucking way I live on that island. <laughs> yeah. And all that's up in the air because it looks like he had a couple different family members that at one point may have had ownership of the island. It seems very weird. Yeah. So now it's a big tourist attraction and many tours actually visit the island. People that visit sometimes leave dolls to honor Barrera and the young girl. It's believed that the young girl's spirit may even possess some of the dolls now. Locals report seeing ghosts and hearing the shadows talk. So it's weird that they're saying like shadows and then some people are saying they're hearing the dolls talk. Oh, I don't like that. Or like whisper. Can you imagine like walking and then like the walls with all the dolls are like whispering? No, thank you. Some believe that it may even be cursed. And when I was researching it, there, like I said, there's a lot of tours that go through there. In the canals, there's a lot of different types of boats that go through there, too. And a lot of people don't even like going in that canal, like on the way to the island, because they believe there's so much negative energy there. Some say that the dolls lure you to the island. There's one story of a Trahanera operator. And a Trahanera is like the best way I can describe it is like a big canoe gondola looking boat. And it normally has like a roof on it and they can take passengers around. So uh, think of kind of like a flat boat in a way, like a floating board almost with a top where people can sit in between. Yeah. But anyway, so one of the operators claimed to even be possessed once while approaching the island and that the possession lasted days. Oh, fuck. No, thank you. Yeah, not a thing. Not a thing. So I don't know why anyone like wants to go down these canals. Anyways, so some of the locals have reported seeing the limbs and the heads of dolls move. So not only are they whispering, they're like moving amongst themselves. Oh my god, they're moving, they're shaking, they're whispering, they're wandering. I don't like it. There's over a thousand dolls on this island. And I don't know like how you measure that because some are just like heads. Some of them are just limbs. There's just... I don't know if you count them or... I think separate existences. So like one doll split into five pieces, five dolls. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. There's just a lot. They're everywhere. They're hung from trees. They're on the structures. They're on clotheslines. They're like just plastered everywhere you can think of. And some visitors have even reported that the eyes of the dolls follow them when they walk. So if dolls aren't your thing, at least the amount of spiders on this island will scare you if you go. Yeah, the pictures are really chilling. The pictures are very, very chilling. And so this is, it wasn't purposely related, but one of our patrons in our Discord, their name's Lexi, they posted an article about how dolls have been washing up on a Texas beach. The first one appeared in January of 2021. And what's interesting is it is like just directly north of where the Island of Dolls is. Is there waterways that like get into the gulf that could carry it there i mean the dolls could also be like fully unrelated does like the gulf of mexico water make it to mexico city in some way because i thought they'd be like oh the canals take the water from here to here but i'm not saying anything oh yeah that would make sense i don't know how the water flows to and fro from there and so 
The dolls, though, they're not showing up in like the same way that you would see them on the Island of Dolls. They've clearly been altered by the water in horrifying ways. Like there's like barnacles growing out of their eyes and they're like severely waterlogged or there's algae growing on them. So if you thought the Island of Dolls dolls were scary, wait till you see them with a barnacle growing out of the eye. (laughs) Like I was like, oh, gosh. Because we know I don't like a haunted doll and I'm just generally uncomfortable by it. So I was like, oh, good. Uh, A sea monster haunted doll is just what I wanted. And it's what you're going to get if you go to that place in Texas now. Oh, no. So, Amanda, I have a series of questions for you. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. The first is, what do you think is going on in Thompson Park? Clearly a vortex that visits different areas of the park daily. Perfection. I'm on team. There's something that is causing a physiological symptom of confusion, and that's just fucking people up. Okay, next we're going to Bodhi. Okay, I have, I have two questions. Okay. One, are you stealing anything from Bodhi? No, absolutely not. And two, do you think that the park ranger should just put the stuff back? Like, just like maybe put it in like a desk drawer somewhere that nobody's going to notice? Like, nobody's checking the authenticity of the drawer? <laughs> I guess it depends on like what it is, though. Like, when you're talking about like a nail. Why would I want to nail down in nature again or like on the road or somewhere wherever they may have found it? You don't want nails out there. No, I'm not saying just like throw it. I'm saying like go into one of the like the houses, open a drawer, put it in the drawer. Like maybe I don't know if that would satisfy it, though, or if it would want to be where it was. It's better than keeping it in the filing cabinet. Or does the curse travel? Is that your curse now? I don't know. And it's like, if you drop something there, does that then become cursed? Because like, I don't think a nail started in Bodhi, right? Like, was it manufactured in Bodhi? It probably wasn't manufactured in Bodhi, but it was used in Bodhi. Like, its original purpose was for to be used in Bodhi. Like, sure, sure. A rock that you find in the ground, sure. But like, say... I don't know. Say you stole like a sign or something. I mean, that feels like a big heist, but jam perhaps. Oh, yeah. If you. Oh, God. If you stole a jar of rancid jam from Bodie from fruit that was imported into Bodie. Why can't one of those three people have a great jam business going? You say rancid jam. What if it's fabulous? Those three people don't live there anymore. They live there in the 1940s. They're dead. No, they, who knows if one was very young. We know what I'm doing now. 2022 minus 1943. (laughs) Okay, they could be 79, still living there. Yeah. Well, I don't think that they were just born. The third one was a newborn. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they were just born. No one lives in Bodie now. As of 2015, it says zero. The population is zero. Okay, so are you going to eat at minimum seven-year-old jam? Well, what I don't understand is, uh, okay, so if they take something that they shouldn't take. So if you go to perhaps someone works there and one of these things is where you can get a souvenir, that probably wouldn't be cursed. But if you take a rock, it would be cursed. Does that theory hold up? I think it's like original Bodhi item. So like something that was owned by a person who lived there during that time, rocks from the area. Like say they had like a little... Like souvenir stand of like, get your own free fake gold little trinket thing, right? I don't think that would be cursed because that wasn't from Bodhi. That was brought in to like sell to tourists. Right, right. It wasn't like an authentic Bodhi item because the town of Bodhi, it's not technically a town. It's a park now. 
Yeah, I wouldn't take anything from there only because I've seen and read some of the, like, if you take an item from somewhere that's you're not supposed to take, I don't want to mess with that. Yeah, it just feels better safe than sorry. Would I visit? Yeah, would I visit? It looks kind of cool. Like, I would like to go. I like a historic kind of tour. Okay, but speaking of tours, are you going to go to Doll Island? Fuck no. There are spiders. I barely can survive where I live. Absolutely not. You know, like, and then I take home like six cats. Like, it would be a it would be a thing. Yeah. And you don't know, like, do the cats come with dolls? I mean, I still wouldn't want to leave them. They'd be like clawing my face. And like, one has like a doll on its collar. I don't know. Maybe they were happy in their life. Like, of all the places in the world for them to be, like an island where there's presumably not predators, but there's ample food. That seems fine. And water? What are they eating? They're probably eating bugs and mice. They're probably living their best wild cat lives. No, see, I would be giving them, I would be giving them so many treats. And jam. (laughs) We all know that cats can't digest jam jellies only. (laughs) As always, we want to know what you think. Are you visiting any of these places, pilfering items? Have you been confused in Thompson Park? We want to know. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. Holy fuck. Amanda, do you fucking know what... I mean, I don't... Let me... Are you okay? I just need you to know. If you had to guess what a person (laughs) named that made jam... What's called? What would you what would you say? No. Okay, this is from answers.com and it's from uh wiki user, which is the name, but we're gonna fucking act like this is fucking gospel. You ready? Okay, okay. A jaminator or a marmoteer. <laughs> a marmoteer. Amazing. Love it. I love it. Amazing. Two coyote clubs, an ocelot, cubs, an armadillo. You said clubs. What I said? Oh, woo! To the vortex and bear clubs. In in addition to fence cubs. Did I say fucking again? Jesus Christ! Bear clubs, where bears go to fucking dance.